，享受工作，乐生活。就算不在办公室，也能从容应对线上会议。HP Dragonfly 透过专业的 HP Presence 设计，内建降噪及会议快速键，搭配清晰的 Ben and Offson 音效，增强音讯及视讯功能。HP Dragonfly 顶级商务笔电，采用 Windows 11专业版。让您在会议中享有最佳的视觉和听觉品质。The heads of the Taiwan People's Party and the KMT met on Monday behind closed doors to discuss strategies to work together this upcoming election. The two parties came to an agreement to support each other in the legislative elections and to promote their shared policies. The two sides said they hope to meet again soon to discuss a potential joint presidential ticket for 2024. Eric Chu is first at the scene. Ko Wenzhou arrives, and two heads out for handshake before they walk into the venue together. The heads of the TPP and KMT on Monday held a one-hour negotiation behind closed doors, and it seems there is finally some progress on a political collaboration. Today we reached two important goals. The first is we have agreed to collaborate ideologically. That is extremely important. We want a third democratic reform and collaborate on our common policies and ideas. Secondly, we will collaborate on the legislative elections. We've reached an agreement on both of these points. Cooperation is better than confrontation. Today's meeting is the most significant meeting in history. But no agreement was reached for an alliance in the presidential election, as a KMT candidate Hou Youyi was not present at the event. The two sides voiced hope that an agreement will be reached soon. I think that today we couldn't just strike up an agreement in the absence of the person concerned. It wouldn't be appropriate. I hope that we can find a fair and open approach to competition that both sides can accept. We of course want to cooperate, so we must respect each other's opinions. Ke Wenzhe, Hou Youyi, and I will get together as soon as possible to discuss the presidential election. We can discuss the formation of a group and our common goals to come to a decision as quickly as possible. The timeline for that is as Ke Wenzhe just said: the sooner, the better. Reporters asked Ke about a meeting he had previously had with independent presidential candidate Terry Go, who is also in the opposition. Our position on Terry Go is that we welcome him to join us. That's how it usually goes. You decide on a strategy first, and then all parties sit down to discuss how to carry it out. Though it's not clear what role Go would play in the talks, a KMT TPP alliance is beginning to take shape. Whether the two parties will finally agree on a joint presidential ticket remains to be seen. And it seems the KMT and TPP have decided to set aside their proposed approaches to arrange a joint presidential ticket. Originally, the KMT had insisted on holding an open primary, while the TPP wanted to decide on a candidate based on opinion polls. KMT Chair Eric Chu on Monday said the matter would be decided via negotiations, adding that the two parties will also collaborate to boost their numbers at the legislative grand. Let's hear the opinion from the ruling DPP. This collaboration between the KMT and the TPP is just pork barrel politics. They are doing it for their own interests. This mess just keeps dragging on and on. Meanwhile, Taiwan State Building Party legislative candidate Yang Peihua has taken issue with the words of TPP Chair Ko Wenzhe, who stated that cooperation was better than confrontation. 
Yang has decried the comment as meaningless drivel, comparing it to Ke's cross-strait stance that getting along with one's family is better than hating them. The legislative candidate says that if Ke gets elected president, he would use the same words to agree on cooperating with Xi Jinping to let China annex Taiwan. This year's International Rotary Youth Leadership Awards Forum brought together 46 young professionals from 20 countries in Taiwan. Among them was a Ukrainian who is currently studying law in France. She hopes to bring what she learned in Taiwan and France to help rebuild Ukraine. Voice is 46 young professionals from 20 countries, including Ukraine, the UK, the US, Germany, France, Denmark, Argentina, Turkey, Japan, and Taiwan, attended the 2023 International Rotary Youth Leadership Awards Forum. Working currently in the tech industry, and I want to stay here, having a career, and uh, maybe launching my own project later. So it's really important to, to see what is what I'm going to have to do to start building my own project and to to continue living here. The main reason that I participate today is not only to have uh, to start building a networking and then also um, work on my communication skill. Among the 46 young professionals who attended the forum is Ukrainian law student Daria Shevsova. Amid the war in Ukraine, Shevsova fled to France to study law. She hopes to bring what she learned in Taiwan and France to help rebuild Ukraine. I live right now in France, but uh, me, as a lot of people from my country, uh, had to make this, um, you know, change in your in in our lives. Peak um, uh, of the war ends. Yeah, uh, I'm planning to come back to my country and to help rebuild my country after gaining uh, the skills that I have. Um, and I think that this is a mission of every single Ukrainian that fled the country. For the first time, Rotary International District 3521 has expanded its invitation to global young leaders to Taiwan to participate in the forum. Young professionals aged 22 to 35 who have at least one year of workplace experience and are specialized in various industries were selected. This year's theme is to create hope for the world. We hope that through these young representatives, we can make our world a better place and more hopeful. A total of around 50 young people from 20 countries came to Taiwan. They're not students, they are already working professionals. They can only participate after being recommended. The speakers include the general manager of Boston Scientific, the general manager of Novartis, and several others. Five industry professionals were invited to give talks. Through the forum, organizers hope to cultivate a new generation of leaders. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang and Chen Weiyu in Taipei. The economy is showing signs of recovering. The National Development Council's Composite Index of Economic Indicators has switched to yellow-blue, meaning sluggishness. That's a change from just blue the month before, which indicates contraction. Let's hear from the economics minister. The shift to yellow-blue in the index of indicators was within the expectations. In the third and fourth quarters, the situation will gradually improve, setting a foundation. I think this is the general trend. Many industries say growth next year will be even better than this year. As for the GDP, there are several external factors at play. War continues raging. We now have the Israel-Palestine conflict. And on top of that, we have inflation. 
All of this affects consumer willingness to spend. There is a very clear impact not just in Taiwan but in the global economy. Economics Minister Wang Meihua said the economy was expected to recover gradually in the third and fourth quarter of the year. She also commented on whether Taiwan's 2023 GDP growth rate had a chance at staying above 2 percent. Wang said there were many factors at play, including the Ukraine-Russia war and the Israel-Palestine war, as well as global inflation. She added that in any case, Taiwanese industries still had an edge in the front of innovation, efficiency and cost. A square dancing teacher from China has ignited dancing fever in Taiwan's countryside. Square or plaza dancing is a popular pastime among middle-aged and older people in China. Yang Wenyu from China's Fujian province teaches her energetic square dance classes in Zhanghua and Taichung in communities where nightlife is often quite sparse. The former betel nut seller is a natural teacher and students say the community around her classes feels like one big family. Dancers in red and white uniforms move to the beat. This class takes place on a quiet street in Zhanghua every Monday evening. After a hard day's work, locals gather promptly at 7.30 for their dance class. Lots of students come in and say my arms and legs are uncoordinated. I've got two left feet. I think none of those problems are real problems. Just come if you want to dance and you want to exercise and give me some time, follow me and you will learn one dance after another. Yang Wenyu's square dancing classes in Taichung and Zhanghua are very popular. Her schedule is full up with evening classes from Monday to Friday. The classes, all in the countryside of central Taiwan, attract a buzz that defies the stereotype of a quiet country evening. She breaks the moves down really clearly so it's easy for the students to take her dance steps on and to start dancing this really different style of square dance. Student numbers grew rapidly once the classes began and the fun steps quickly help students to come together and build friendships. Since I started the square dancing, I've gone from not knowing people to knowing them and getting to know them even better, to everyone feeling like one big family of brothers and sisters. If someone is sick and hasn't come, 30 or 40 people will ask her how she's doing. I remember a teacher once said to me, you're the founding father of Taiwanese square dancing. I think that was very encouraging for me. I'm not as great as all that, but it was an encouragement, and I'm developing my Yang Wenyu square dancing to greater and greater heights. Yang is not just a teacher. She also leads students to take part in contests and travel together. Her classes are building community and igniting the passion of Taiwan's tranquil country towns. President Tsai Ing-wen on Monday honored Japan's representative to Taiwan at the presidential office. Izumi Hiroyasu is set to step down from his post in November after leading Japan's mission to Taiwan for four years. To thank him for his contributions to Taiwan-Japan ties, Tsai presented him with an Order of the Brilliant Star with special grand cordon. Let's hear from the two. This is 
Looking back at the past four years, Taiwan and Japan have shown the world our partnership and our common values of freedom and democracy. We have not just worked together to face global challenges, but also created a virtuous circle that contributes to regional prosperity and development. Taiwan was the world's Taiwan. Taiwan has already become a Taiwan of the world. I think that is a big achievement of the Thai administration. I hope that after stepping down as president next May, you may visit Japan and give speeches there. I am sure that any talks you deliver in Japan will be well received by many people. President Tsai praised Izumi as setting a new milestone in Taiwan-Japan relations. She voiced hope that the diplomat would always stand with Taiwan and return frequently to a second home after retirement. Many Taiwanese companies are developing halal branches in a bid to enter markets in Muslim-majority countries. Taiwanese restaurants and coffee chains are especially focusing on Malaysia, where over 60% of the top population are Muslim. Malaysia is home to branches of famous Taiwanese chains like Ding Tai Fong, Come True Coffee, and HWC Roasters. They've all developed Palau branches and adjusted their offerings to suit local tastes. Let's head to Kuala Lumpur now for a look at how Taiwan is adjusting to the Muslim economy. Here in the bustling Bukit Bintang area of Kuala Lumpur, you can see Petronas Towers, the world's tallest twin skyscrapers. Crowds mill here day and night, and that has attracted several Taiwanese companies to launch their expansion into the Muslim world here. Steaming hot shaolong bao are served. Din Tai Fung opened its first Malaysian branch 17 years ago. Now there are 15 branches in the country, of which seven are halal. Here in the pork-free halal branch, these dumplings are the familiar golden 18 folds, but the difference is they contain chicken instead of pork fillings. No pork or alcohol is used anywhere in the ingredients or production process, and the flavour has been adjusted to suit the local taste. Our concept is to present the customer with pure, original flavors as much as possible, but customers in Malaysia, especially Malay customers, like strong flavors, so we have some new products. Our pork-free restaurants are not just patronized by Malay customers, they really have a larger market, so in the future, we'll be opening more pork-free branches than with pork branches. Meanwhile, Taiwanese cafe chain Come True Coffee opened its first branch in the Bukit Bintang area last year. It's sweeping up coffee custom with its halal stall. This is where we chose to open our first branch because we were invited by our partner, Elite. So we chose Malaysia as the first location of our international expansion. More than 60% of Malaysia's population of 33 million is Muslim. In Come True Coffee's first months here, over 90% of their customers were ethnically Chinese. But after a year of hard work, Muslim customers now make up 15% of the total. And a rival Taiwanese cafe, HWC Roasters, is in on the market too. Their Malaysian branches have halal certification. The coffee drinking culture in Malaysia is gradually maturing. Everyone knows that our taste is for stronger flavors. So, for example, we dark roast all our beans. We plan to gradually expand to 50 locations by the end of this year. It's delicious. I, I enjoy the latte. I don't feel it's too, too 
too bitter, too sweet. It's just up to my taste, but so it's, 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 it's very nice. According to Malaysia's Ministry of International Trade and Industry, the halal economy will be worth up to 5 trillion US dollars by 2030, equivalent to almost 160 trillion NT. Taiwanese companies are racing to get ahead in this burgeoning market. Hualien recently welcomed Taiwan's first ever drive-in theatre. The movie showing allowed drivers to enjoy an evening at the big screen inside their own vehicles. Hundreds of car owners turned up for the event, which is also a social occasion. And the organizers had a second purpose, to promote road safety to a captive audience. Cars as far as the eye can see. You might think it's a motoring exhibition, but on closer inspection, you realize it's a drive-in theater. They had these abroad in the old days, and they put this one here in Hualien, so I thought I'd come along and try it out. I've never seen people doing this in Taiwan before. The drive-in theater had its heyday in the U.S. and Europe in the 1960s. Now, one has popped up by Guofu Bridge in Hualien, allowing moviegoers to enjoy a big screen from the comfort of their own car. Hundreds of vehicles were at the showing to enjoy the retro experience. It's a combination of the car and nature. Car lovers can make connections and have a meaningful event. It's great. For the movie, we can put the screen outside, we can use the car's radios, and if you tune it to the right channel, you can hear the movie's audio in your car. So you can enjoy the feeling of an outdoor theater in your car. And along the way, we can publicize the latest regulations, like giving way to pedestrians. We want to publicize this information so drivers know about it. The drive-in theater is not just a chance for a retro evening of entertainment. It's also a social event for people who love their cars and a chance to promote road safety. A teppanyaki restaurant owner in Zhanghua is a hero of the local community, providing 20 free meals to people in need each day. The suspended meal project has been running for more than five years. Each free box has a seafood or meat main dish with two fresh vegetable sides. Xu Zhenyong doesn't require any proof of financial status from recipients, preferring to trust that those who need support will identify themselves. A big oyster is constantly stirred with spring onions and a generous helping of sauce. Another seafood delight is this grilled scallop with stir-fried cabbage and bean sprouts glistening with oil. At this teppanyaki restaurant in Pushing Township, Zhanghua, owner Xu Zhengyong provides 20 free suspended meals in two batches for people who need them. Over more than five years, Xu has served about 36,000 of these suspended teppanyaki boxes. Recipients don't need to register or provide any documentation. Xu cares about the dignity of recipients and expresses his respect through trusting their request. We hope our love and warm wishes will carry on, not be broken, so that vulnerable people in our society can get better and better care every day. Apart from the charity Lunchbox project, Xu has also worked with Huashan Social Welfare Foundation for the last four years to provide charity New Year meals, giving vulnerable people a warming event to look forward to in the cold winter months. Xu continues to provide freshly fried up meals to the neighbors who need them the most, so they can have the strength to face whatever life has in store. 
Now for a spotlight on the most heartwarming vintage store. It's full to bursting with vintage toys and antiques from Taiwan's past. Li Jiayu is passionate about the way of life and heart each item represents. Collecting toys began for Li as a hobby but soon became his calling. He only sells objects to customers who show a real connection with the item. Visitors to Pingdong's Linglo Township don't miss a detour to this hidden gem. Parent and child play together on a pinball machine. The prize? A candy. In this vintage toy store in Linlo Township, nostalgic items, toys and candies are everywhere. It's like a trip in a time machine. When I saw it, it felt like I had gone back in time. Lots of it seems like stuff from an earlier era. It's so exciting to see. Many customers gasp when they come in and see these toys. Memories come flooding back. People are curious why it says 63. You have to add 7 and then you get the birth year of the Datong baby. It was made in the year 70 of the Mingguo calendar, that is, 1981. Li Jiayu is delighted to share all his stories about his precious collection. But the first items he began to collect were Vespa scooters, both for adults and children. Meanwhile in the store, this vintage village sign reading Shaolin became an object of pilgrimage for a professor. He was from Shaolin. He said to me, the village of Shaolin has vanished. How do you still have the sign here? When he came here, it was like he had seen their old village. It was very sweet and touching. That's how heartwarming it is to collect vintage things. It's so touching. Each antique is imbued with a certain way of life from the era that birthed it. And how did Lee get into collecting all this stuff? It's hard to believe, but it was when he was working in the police. Trawling flea markets was his outlet for stress. For example, I couldn't afford to buy toys as a child, but now I can do it. Now I've got the finances, I can bring all these toys back. When I look at old things, it feels therapeutic. Playing with old things gives you a warm feeling. It's not about making a transaction. Lee is a true lover of antiques. He only sells nostalgic items to customers who have a real connection with the object. The rarest items will never be sold. He says each object has a heart. And that's what connects him with each customer.